Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi, thanks for joining me. I'm so happy you've made it along. Coming up, well, we're going to meet a Motown recording act known for their style that typified the then popular trend of psychedelic soul. I'm sure you remember their biggest hit. Smiling faces sometimes pretend to be your friend. Smiling faces show no traces. Faces from the undisputed truth. We'll catch up with lead singer Joe Harris to hear the group's story very soon. We're also going to drop in on an iconic Australian singer-songwriter and musician who's been picking, singing and writing long enough to have been on the charts for four decades. Doug Ashdown holds the distinction for having created the first double album of original material ever to be released in Australia, as well as being the author of this wonderful song. Winter in America is cold And I just keep growing older I wish I could have known Enough of love To leave love enough alone It's become a classic song now in Australia and it's still being played but the big break for winter in America funnily enough came from Holland where a man named Rene Froger recorded it Doug's coming up thanks to Alison in Wagga in New South Wales. Now, don't forget, if you'd like to request a guest, just send me a message through the website A Breath of Fresh Air. That's abreathoffreshair.com.au. Okay, so let's turn to our new music rap. And this week, there's a new one out from Steve Earle. The album pays tribute to Earle's mentor, Jerry Jeff Walker, who passed away late last year. I'm sure you'll agree that this version of Walker's Mr. Bojangles is just superb. Love my Bojangles and dance for you. Silver hair, ragged shirt, and baggy pants. The old soft shoe. He jumps so high, jumps so high. And a light little touchdown. Let a man sail is called Jerry Jeff. Definitely worth a listen. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Now she's 71 and proud of it. The First Lady of Rock has just celebrated her 50-year career in the music industry with a grand show at London's Royal Albert Hall and this week is releasing three CD box sets as well as her latest book. It makes me tired just thinking about it. Susie Quattro, how are you? I'm fantastic. Working again now, finally. Just did the Royal Arbor Hall, which was possibly the best gig of my entire life because I always was an entertainer. I always said it from very young, even on my first passport. 
entertainer. Everybody put musicians, I put entertainer. Now that I'm doing my solo two-hour shows, now I'm getting all the critical acclaim. Yes, I'm a rocker, absolutely, but there's more to it than that. I don't have any age. My husband gets quite annoyed with me. When I come off, he always says to me, you're not even out of breath or sweating. I guess it's my natural habitat. So it doesn't tax me. I could just do it again and again and again. I'm comfortable up there. And you keep yourself healthy, don't you? We talked about that last time. You work out in the gym, you eat right, you sleep right. The reason we're chatting today is because you've got yet another new book out and there are two new releases of your music that I'd like you to tell me about. First, I'll do the book. Yeah. To My Heart, Poetry and Reminiscence, Volume 2. I have to say, it just goes so deep. If you don't know me after reading this, you're never going to know me. You know, the two years and all that, it had a real effect. It takes you deep down into yourself. So tell us about these poems. You were writing these during the pandemic as what, like love letters to yourself, to your fans. This poetry book kept pushing itself out. And I can't stop until I get what I have to say on the page. I've been reading them myself and being critical. And I'm not driven by ego, as you know, but you know me well enough by now. But I have to say, more than once, I read them and I go, whoa, because it just hits it. That's all. It hits it, you know? What's the reader going to take out of this? That's a good question. Something, I guess, which is my personal mantra. Do not be somebody else's version of you. You might not always succeed, but at least you're you. If you don't have a niche from your childhood that you naturally fit into, You spend your life looking for your niche. And even when you find it, that looking for it attitude stays. Who am I? Am I me? Do you understand me? Do you get me? That's the thing. So that's all in this book. Through my heart, it's called. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, you got to, you know, be this way. In fact, my dad used to say, that's one of the poems in there called Toughen Up. We were sitting at the kitchen table and it's one of my favorite poems in the book years ago when he was alive. And he said something to me that bothered me. So I said, dad, I said, my, my 30s. I said, dad, you just hurt my feelings. And he said, God damn it, Susie, you have to toughen up. And I turned to him and I said, how? End of conversation. The answer to that, that's all through the book. You can't be any different than the way you're wired. Who knew that Susie Quattro was such a deep person? Well, I guess you did. I knew. I knew I was I knew I was all that with it. And that's why I didn't want to ever be boxed in. Yeah. I love rock and roll. I get out there and I'm possessed. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm flying, you know, I love it. And that's a huge part of my persona. But it's not all I am. Have you ever thought about what they're going to write on your tombstone? I can't believe you asked me that. Okay. So I started collecting 35 years ago. <laughs> I started to collect famous tombstones of people. And I talked to people and got them to send me and what they wanted. So funny uh-huh. you said that. Really? So I have three or four pages full of people. A lot of them are dead now. You know, it's been a long time. And I was going to make this into a book. And as I started to put it into a book, all these pages of quotes, including my own, it became a novel. I can tell you mine because it starts that's on the first page of the book. I get two because I'm a Gemini. Um, <laughs> and the first one says, which I love, now I get it. And the other side says, too many dreams, too little time. So that's both sides of my character. And there are some brilliant <laughs> ones on there. Very famous people. The ones that you thought would be pithy are completely opposite. Ones you thought were going to be funny have given me this very serious, you know, it's like really? nobody, nobody said what I thought they were going to say, but that's now just the back of the book. And it's a novel. Oh, I can't wait to read that. When do you think that'll be a take me another three or four months to get it done properly? Let's talk the rock box. The rock box covers the years 1973 to 1979, seven CDs, one DVD set. Tell me about that. Well, 
So basically, I did all the notes. It's very personal, very personal. You get the whole idea. Wouldn't be Susie Q if it wasn't personal, would it? It's the only way I know how to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have an 11th commandment that I wrote years ago, and I've said it for a long time. Susie's 11th commandment is, thou shalt not bullshit thyself. We could all adhere to that pretty well, couldn't we? If only we could. Susie, 1973 to 1979, a lot of tracks on there. Pick one that you really like. You know, it ends up being, for me, stuff that makes it onto the stage and it stayed in the show. Glycerin Queen stayed in the show. about the hits now those are a given skin tight skin great great track shake oh angel flight on quattro there's angel flight on here that got added that was made for quattro and they wouldn't let it on the album and it's if they had released that on that album how like they should have done it's an epic song people would have had a completely different idea of me and the record company got scared to release something so radical two albums in but they should have done return that would have turned everything on its head but happens as it happens fabulous tracks and lots that are a little atypical for Susie Q. Yeah, there is. In fact, what you can count on with me is I will always give you something unexpected. Even when I do my shows, I do stuff on my shows that people are rocking along. They go, what? (laughs) (laughs) My motto is don't box me in. Allow me to be artiste that I am. And then I will rock your ass off. And then here you are boxed into 73 to 79 in this. Sure I am. Literally boxed. That was a period of my life, so that's okay. I don't have to live in this box, you know. (laughs) No, you certainly don't. The other one that's out now too, which is a three-CD box set, uh, is called Susie Quattro, the albums 1980 to 1986. And, you know, that's rock hard. And up in my ego room, which I have in the house, I have that suit and that guitar up there. That's it's good. Main attraction, I was pregnant with my daughter in that one. Dreams are hard to find. I've been searching all my life. All those cold and lonely nights. You were on my mind. Seems a hundred years ago. I walked out the door. I was blind, I couldn't see. How much you meant to me Here we stand 
wait, there's more. A two CD set called Spotlight is also being released. So everything's out. We're now doing a film of my life and I've got an EP coming out in America in September of my six favorite covers because I have an album coming out in 2023 with my good friend KT Tunstall. So it's Susie Quattro. Katie Tunstall, and we got together and we found a style in between us and we've we've made a magical album. I'm uh, writing film music with my son at the moment and then I'm working on stuff for my next album too. Just to go back to the unreleased Emotion album from 1986, it wasn't issued until 1992. That bonus track that you did do with Trog's vocalist, Reg Presley, can you just tell me a little bit about that? We actually rehearsed it. I always remember we rehearsed it in my living room with the two microphones and a mirror. After we'd recorded it, we had to do a TV and he wanted to make sure he had his moves right. I loved him for that. We'll see all of your memorabilia that you've got in your so-called ego room up for auction. I don't know. I would like to see my son turn that into a museum. I send people, friends of mine, if they come here, or maybe some very special fans for a long time end up here. It's up on the third floor, two flights of stairs, old house, 1590. So nothing is great. So you go to the floor, you can bang your head. You're walking. It's very important to get to the ego room, not easily. So you're like this and you're like that and you're like that. And big wooden door. And I had a little sign made and the sign says, ego room, mind your head. Yeah. And you go in there and every space is covered with a poster or a photo. This is complete, Susie. It's the quietest room in the house, which I love. The ego room is the quietest room in the house. Then when you come out of that room, that's the important part. You shut the door. Shut the door. And that's how I live my life. There's a place for that. And you go up and enjoy it. And then you come out and that stays in that room. This is why I'm writing all these damn books, I think. And I guess I want all this to be read and discussed when I'm gone. I don't know where you take all your energy from, but thank goodness that you do. Thank you, Susie Quattro, for chatting yet again. Really nice talking to you. All the very best. Look out for the unstoppable Susie Quattro as she makes her 39th tour of Australia later this year. Up next, let's head for Motown. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Great to have your company. Thanks for hanging in. You know what time it is now, don't you? Do you remember the undisputed truth? They were a Motown act in the early 70s, assembled by Wiz record producer Norman Whitfield. It was often said that Whitfield had put the group together in the image of The Temptations, but lead singer Joe Harris says no. He's been with the group since day one and tells us all about the early days when they sang on Edwin Starr's War, on Ain't No Mountain High Enough with Diana Ross, and on Stevie Wonder's Signed, Sealed and Delivered. Today, Undisputed Truth is only one of three Motown acts that are still around that feature more than one of their original artists. Joe Harris, welcome to A Breath of Fresh Air. You've been the main singer with Undisputed Truth the whole time. Yes, I have. Tell me a bit about the journey. Well, I got started back in 1954. I was living here in Detroit and my mom took me to uh, the rock and roll show in the neighborhood at the theater. It was about eight or nine. And that night, headlining that show was a guy called Lou Willie John. And when they came on stage, it was so dynamic. I knew right then what I wanted to do forever. <laughs> when you touch my hand, you touch me toe. I got a knocking in my knees and a wobble in my wall. I'm trembling and I'm shaking. My heart stops though and us think that is dancing I'm patting and I'm shaking. 
next year, I entered junior high school, and that summer, I performed in a talent show. The Spinners were second, and I was with a group called Little Joe and the Morocco's, and we won that first talent contest. Amazing. And that was the beginning. After that, my mom said school was my choice for more music until I got out of high school. But in high school, I went with Mary Wilson of the Supremes. And for four years, Mary and I were in a musical ensemble class that neither one of us never missed a day. When we graduated, she got a female music award. I got the male music award. That next year, Mary Wilson was huge. She was already with Motown. 64, 65, my turn came. I was with a group called The Peps. I signed with um, Barry Gordy's first wife. And also, at that time, I was working with a group called The Ohio Untouchables, who eventually became The Ohio Players. I left the Ohio Players. I joined the, the group Nightlighters, and we were performing in Detroit. Norman Whitfield from Motown came and caught the show and had said that he had two young ladies that he had been working with in the studio, and they were doing background stuff on Motown, and he wanted to put a group together. And the rest of that was history. Since then, uh, Grammy, uh, Emmy, Academy Award nomination, uh, three times in the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. I say all those things because when I first started, my mom didn't want me to do none of this. I bet she didn't. Joe, what was it like as part of Motown? Well, we did a lot of movies over there. I put together Rolls Royce. I put together the group Stargard. My days in Motown, I would have to say that that was just such an honor to be in a situation where everybody was professional. When you were at Motown, you felt like you had a reason to be who you were and you had a, a status, so to speak, to live up to because of a lot of the, the people that were there previously. So my Motown years, I think, were some of the best for a lot of reasons, because I got to work with a lot of folks like the Jackson 5, Marvin Gaye. A lot of people thought that the Undisputed Truth were the copy group of the Temptations because, of course, <laughs> you, you kind of did similar things. No, only because we had the same producer. We cast ourselves as a mean towards Sly in this family stone and the fifth dimension. Funky, but, but with a message. Had nothing to do with the temptations. The only thing that happened when we were recording and we were doing an album, Norman said that if you heard anything that I've done on anybody else that you think you might want to do, let me know. He had just finished that album where the Temptations did their version of Smiling Faces. And at that time, Eddie Kendricks was a very good friend of mine. I liked the song. And then when we got ready to record it, I didn't know that he had already cut the track. And I was singing it like Eddie Kendricks. And Norman told me, don't listen to Eddie. I listened to Eddie and then it took me Three and a half hours to get the first two words right. Smiling faces. Took a long time. You're kidding. <laughs> I listening to Eddie Kendricks. It was take maybe 320. He said, Joe, give me some Jerry Butler. <laughs> I was like, I was right on it. Smiling. Boom. He said, that's it. And then what he did was he made me sing the song from the last verse to the first, from the back to the front, so I wouldn't have that flow that Eddie did. I was sweating bullets. Smiling faces sometimes pretend to be your friend. Smiling faces show no traces. Favorite undisputed truth song. 
My favorite, Smiling Faces and Papa. What Papa Was a Rolling Stone was written by my dad, by the way. And Papa Was a Rolling Stone was written by your dad? Written for my dad. Written about for your my dad. dad. Really? Yes, I, you know, I did that before they did. <laughs> Why was it written well, for him? It, it was so, Norman asked me, when we were on tour with the Jackson Five, and we were coming back to Detroit to do a, uh, a show in Detroit for a DJ here. My dad, who I had never known or never met, called me and told me that I had siblings in Detroit and would would I care to meet him? And I've said, of course I would. I would love to. And when I talked to Norman about it, I said, you know, my dad called me. He said, your dad? Well, he called me and uh, told me that uh, I had some siblings. And Norman was with us when we came to the date there in Detroit. And he saw my sisters and brothers. And he said, seven, you got eight sisters and brothers? I never, I didn't know. And uh, after I met my sisters and brothers, I learned a lot about my dad still. I never met him. Who wrote the song? Norman Whitfield. It was the 3rd of September. That day I'll always remember. Yes, I will. Cause it was the day that my dad had died. I never got a chance to see him. But bad things about him Mama, I'm depending on you Tell me the truth Mama just hung her head and said, son Papa was a rolling stone Wherever he laid his hat was his home And when he died All he left us was alone We, we already had it in the charts. I mean, we were climbing the charts, but we had so much momentum because after the Temps put that out, we put out another song called Law of the Land, which did very good for us. You know, and then the Temps did it. See, so we were going back and forth. Did you get upset about that? No. No, see, first of all, the Timps were always a favorite of mine, and I was a team player. And at Motown at that time, a lot of folks were covering. I mean, we we covered uh, what's going on before Marvin got all the stuff on the album. When that song was released, Barry didn't believe in that track. And they got stuck because they didn't have enough records to sell. They produced from the pressing plant maybe a couple of hundred thousand copies of that record. And that record was asking for a million copies in a week. And they didn't have them. But we had the uh, the original track at Motown. And Norman was asking that same question. Anything you heard you want to do? I said, I sure like to do what's going on. <laughs> and the next thing I know, we were in the studio doing a version of what's going on.
If you had to do it all again, would you do it differently? I would change the thing because I've thought about it many times and I can't see how anything that I would change would lead to that next thing that it led to the first time. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Joe Harris. What a joy to meet you. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Joe Harris still leads the Undisputed Truth today. Can you guess who the other two Motown acts are that are still around and feature original members? Yep, it's the Commodores and the Jackson 5. Now to something a little bit different. I'd like to introduce you to John Karabi, who's best known as the lead singer for the band Motley Crue, a heavy metal band that formed in Los Angeles in 1981. John's currently touring Australia on an intimate solo acoustic tour and he's just released a single that's very different to anything he's ever done. it's got some very Beatlesque moments about it. I've always just wanted to write some sort of cool, poppy little tune, but it wasn't suitable for whatever band that I was in at the time. And I wrote the lyrics, I got the music together, I did the piano, I did all the guitars and programmed a drum thing. Everybody was asking me like, are you sure you want to release that song first? And I said, yes. Why? Well, I really love this song. And what this does, like after that song, I don't think anybody knew what to expect from me. And I love that. John Karabi, you're about to release your autobiography. It's called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Can you fill us in a little about the book? Yeah, it's telling stories of my youth, my childhood. There was a TV show in America for the longest time called The Wonder Years. That was like my childhood growing up. Mm. And then my parents divorced and things got very dark, very quick. And I could have gone to the left, which was make music, the route that I took, or I could have went to the right and I probably would be doing this interview from a prison cell. But it's more about my thinking, my headspace, where I was at. I talk about joining Motley, how I was feeling as it was happening, how I was trying to process going from virtually obscurity into one of the biggest bands in the world and then dealing with their individual egos and idiosyncrasies and all the stuff that came with it. A lot of people have asked me what the name means. That was my next question. Well, I am the king of being always at the right place, but always at the wrong time. Every band that I'm in, every woman that I've married or dated, it came from my dad when he said something like, there's a phrase when you go, oh my God, I was this close. My dad made a comment, you know, to the extent like, well, you know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I wrote it down and I'm like, someday I'm going to either do a record and I'm going to call it Horseshoes and Hand Grenades or a book or something. John Karabi, is there a moral to it all? 
You know what? Yes. At the end of the day, this book really is about a guy who has had his ups and downs, but has not and refuses to take no for an answer. So it's really about perseverance. The one thing that I've realized through all of this, you can be as talented as you want. The one ingredient between a huge record and a not so huge record is the stars aligning for that artist. So there's some luck involved as well. The book, in in a nutshell, is just about perseverance and keep on swinging that hammer. Yeah. Great message for everybody, John. Thanks so much for talking with me today. A real pleasure. All right, darling. Thank you. All the best. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hang in there. Up next, we hear from Australia's own Doug Ashdown. This is A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for being here. I hope you're having fun. This is the part of the show where you get to choose the artist we hear from. And Phil from Sydney has asked me to find an English singer from the 60s by the name of Polly Brown. Polly fronted a band called Pickety Witch that had a massive hit with this song. I still get the same old from Pickety Witch. And Phil, I have to tell you, I've tried and tried and tried for you. I know you had a massive crush on Polly Brown and I'm really sorry. I managed to find contact details for one of the guys in her band in Helsinki, Finland, only to be told that he'd passed away a month earlier. I joined the Polly Brown fan club on Facebook and discovered that not one of her fans knows her whereabouts. I spoke to English music journalists as well as Leo Sayer and even to the guy who wrote most of the Pickety Witch hits. Eventually, word did come back from the very secretive Polly herself and that word was no, she will not do any interviews. What I do know about her is that she's alive and well and living a very private life somewhere in the UK. That's it. I failed miserably and I'm not at all happy about it. I've had a bit of better luck for Alison in Wagga in New South Wales, who asked to hear from Doug Ashdown, one of Australia's first and most popular singer-songwriters. Doug Ashdown, welcome to A Breath of Fresh Air. Lots of people have loved your music. Let's just revisit those days and perhaps you could share a few stories with us. Far away. At 17, you went off to England and played with a rock and roll band, coming back to Adelaide, which is your hometown, and you worked as the lead guitarist in a band called The Bowman with our mutual friend, Robbie Bright. Hitch, I could hitch, I could like you restless tiger, you can't stand still. And you never will. I'd played in rock, uh, rock and roll bands like the Bowman for many years, and I decided in 1964 to quit playing electric guitar. So I, I traded my electric guitar in for a 12-string guitar and started to sing folk music. So I, I sort of started to get a reputation, and I was doing Dylan songs, and I wasn't writing really at the time. But Sven Liebeck from CBS Records came over to Adelaide scouting for talent and uh, he heard me and decided to sign me up for CBS Records. The first album was in 1965. You ended up doing three albums for CBS. That's right. Source, I think, was the best album. I think that still stands up, that album. I'm very proud of that one. Which is your favourite track on it? Probably Lilac Wine, would you believe? It was uh, recorded by Nina Simone and I learned it from that recording. When I think more than I ought to think And I do things I never should do Drink much more than I ought to drink Because it brings me back you mm. 
When did you start writing? I started writing seriously when I met Jimmy Stewart. He'd just come over from uh, England and he'd had a pretty good record that he produced with Pastoral Symphony, uh, Love Machine, and he had a reputation as a writer. And we started to co-write some songs. And that's when I started to get the bones of the Age of Mouse album, and uh, we wrote that. And for anybody who hasn't heard of Jimmy Stewart, of course, he was an expatriate Irish songwriter. The two of you made a pretty formidable team, didn't you? Well, we did, yeah. We, we wrote an album called The Age of Mouse, which was the first double original album released in Australia. The first double album of original material ever to be released in Australia. That's quite something. Yeah, it was uh, picked up in America and released over there. Critically, everybody liked it. And if you had to point to one track on that one that's closest to your heart? Well, out of the album, of course, I think the most popular song would be the saddest song of all. And the papers got wet in the morning rain And the birds came And Friday started early that day Mr. Albert Aloysius Jones Rubbed the sleep out of his bones Ate his toast and spoke her name His feet went off to find a train Same old way And his hand reached out to catch its pain And there was much he didn't know about his life The girl who typed his letters loved him better than his wife. Saddest song of all is about a family, you know, who goes through different trials and tribulations, and it's a story about their life, really. Right. Where were you and Jimmy drawing inspiration from? Everywhere, life. I did a lot of reading then, and I was very into spiritual things like philosophy and Eastern philosophy, Eastern religion, and that sort of was injected into the album. Soon after that one came out, you went off to America and you went to live in Nashville for a while. How did that go for you? We managed to get a deal with uh, Tree Publishing and they had people like Willie Nelson and Bobby Braddock and very well-known writers for you know, writing for them. So we we got uh, very lucky. We got uh, signed by them. So that opened a lot of doors for us. When we got back to Australia, I made the Winter in America album and that subsequently took me to working with people like Supertramp and Joni Mitchell. That's the song that you're best known for, that took the world by storm, Winter in America. Yeah, that that's still like, it's become a classic song now in Australia and it's still being played. But a big break for Winter in America, funnily enough, came from Holland where a man named René Froger recorded it. He was he's sort of like a, I would describe him as a kind of Tom Jones style singer. And he was a huge singer in Holland, in the Netherlands. And he recorded Winter in America. And he took it to the top of the charts there. And that was his signature tune. And uh, it's still, I think, hanging around with him over there. The harbor's misty in the morning, love Oh, how I miss December The friendship and he opens up To kiss the salty air I know you're getting ready for the office I suppose it's still there With you in America is cold And I just keep growing over I wish I could have known And I would love To leave love in a That really broke Winter in America, but it hasn't been released by me in uh, America like a lot of people think. It was never released in the States, which might have really changed things for me. Why wasn't it? Don't know. Just luck or whatever. Uh, It was released in England and released in Holland. 
and I actually flew to Holland. They flew me to Holland. It was a crazy sort of thing. I got this phone call saying, there are tickets waiting for you to go to Holland to do this film clip. And so they flew me to Holland like for two days to do a film clip, which was amazing. <laughs> wow. I'm assuming that you co-wrote that with Jimmy Stewart while the two of you were in America? Yeah. Winter in America was written while we were in America. We wrote that for Tree Publishing, but it wasn't recorded or anything in America until we got back to Australia. But it was written in Nashville while it was a particularly old winter, I think. It was a rare occasion when Nashville actually had snow. And I remember we were, we were getting a bit homesick and that's why we sort of wrote the song. It was actually two songs. It was two titles we were working. We were going to work on. One was Leave Love and Up Alone, and the other one was Winter in America, which I had. So I had the kind of chorus, Winter in America is Cold, and Jimmy had the Leave Love and Up Alone lines. So we decided to marry the two songs or two, two ideas and put them into one song. It was first called Leave Love and Up Alone when it was released in Australia, but that didn't really do any good. So... Bob Rogers, the DJ, suggested we get the record company to re-release the song as Winter in America, and that's when it took off. The harbour's misty in the morning, love, oh how I miss December. The frangipani opens up to kiss the salty air. I know you're getting ready for the office. I suppose he's still there With you Sharing our morning song Winter in America is cold And I just keep growing older I wish I could have known Enough of love To leave love enough alone You should re-release it. It should go out to America now. It's such a magnificent song. Oh, look, the music business has changed so dramatically that now you don't really put out CDs or albums anymore. It's all downloads, it's all Spotify. Quite frankly, it's not, uh, to me, worth actually investing and recording anymore because I'm not performing. Are you disappointed with the way the music industry has gone? Well, it's the way things change. And being my age, I can't expect everything to stay the same. I mean, when I was recording, it was a whole different world. A lot of the compositions that you did were recorded by various artists, including Tommy Emmanuel, Julie Anthony, Jimmy Little, my friend Demis Roussos, Wayne Newton, and, and of course, the legendary Bon Scott. What did Bon record? Well, Bon recorded songs while he was in the band Fraternity. He didn't do anything after that with the ACDC. One was called The Race on an album called Livestock. awarded and highly acclaimed for all that you've given in music industry. You're turning 80. What are you going to be doing to celebrate? Uh, a very quiet uh, dinner at home, probably. I'm not um, travelling anywhere. I'm very wary about going to places because of COVID. I don't catch up with people that I would like to see, but that's just the way life is at the moment, you know, and you just got to live with it. The one reward that I'm getting through it is the fact that because I am at home a lot, I'm writing a lot of songs. And whether they'll ever see the light of day on any kind of media, I don't know. But I just like the satisfaction of writing them. And how would you compare your writing today as to when you started out? 
probably I'm a lot more critical of it, so I probably pull it to pieces and trim the fat a lot more. And I think I'm writing far more poetically than I did in the past. Some of my songs would probably be better served as poems, the ones that I'm writing now. And they're rather deeply involved in spiritual ideas and things like that. Yeah, it's just through life. It's just the fact you get older, you think more. You've got more in your brain to sort of bring to life, you know, than you have when you're young. Yeah. With all the wisdom that you do have today, what advice would you give your younger self? Keep your pen in your pocket. In the past, you'd sign anything, you know, to get, say you'd get a little bit of money or something, but uh, no, I would be very careful nowadays. I've become a lot more au fait with the business, of course, you know. When you do get old, you can just sit back and look at it all, you know, (laughs) from afar. I hear you. Doug Ashdown, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Sandy. And uh, we wish you a very, very happy birthday. Thanks very much indeed, Sandy. Ta. See ya. Which artists from the 60s, 70s or 80s would you like to hear from? Let me know through the website abreathoffreshair.com.au and I'll do my very best to make it happen. Right now, though, time for me to go. Thanks for keeping me company today. I hope you'll join me again same time next week. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day mm-hmm. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.